0: Today, we kick off a brand new series that we're calling Interrupted. So I want to start off this series with a question. How many of you like being interrupted? Yeah, I don't see any hands going up at all. No, we hate interruptions. They are a pain in the butt. I mean, in fact, we teach our kids, don't interrupt because it's rude. Interruptions are seen as bad. And yet, we're going to spend five weeks talking about interruptions. So I want to know... Who's the fool that named this series Interrupted, and we're going to talk about a negative, annoying topic for five weeks? The reason we have to do that is because life is full of interruptions. It's, it's constant. Now, granted, I'm going to concede that there are some interruptions that are not bad, all right? In fact, we'll, we'll categorize them. We'll say there's three different categories of interruptions. There's probably more than that, but for our sake, we're going to talk about three. First, there's just those neutral ones. They don't really matter so much. It could be your phone ringing or you get a text message. And for some of us, those moments, we kind of like them. You know, you want the phone call. You like getting the text message. Others of us, they're a pain in the rear end. You know, you're watching your movie. You don't want to be interrupted right now. You're in conversation with a friend. The text just gets in the way. And so we don't like them. But those are kind of neutral. Other interruptions, though could be more on the positive side these are the ones that kind of make us happy they, they can be really really big like ladies when the guy gets down on his knee and proposes marriage that's an interruption but it's a happy one it's a very welcome one well for most women it usually is i'm sure there's been a few cases where it hasn't been nice to see the guy get on one knee but that's a tangent but sometimes the happy ones can even be small like if you're at work and you're just blindly watching your computer monitor and you're bored out of your mind and a coworker comes up and interrupts. You welcome the interruption in that moment. It's it's kind of a happy one, like please, take me away from this. Now those ones, neutral, positive, they're just kind of there. The type of interruptions though that we don't like are what I would call disruptive. They're the negative one. It's the little kid, the small one, where the little kid comes up and interrupts the adult conversation. They're disrupting the conversation. But usually, the type of interruptions that we really hate of the absolutely life-changing interruptions. Just this week here in Waverly, Territ's announced after 75 years of being in Waverly, they're closing. 100 people lost their jobs like that. All staff meeting, 100 of you are done. 75 of you got what, another 90 days or so? Gonna help shut this place down and move it to Oklahoma. That was an interruption. There are some people who are wondering, what's next? You know, if you're 55, 60 years old, How are you going to find that next job? What if you were one income? This is not the type of interruption you want. This is disruptive. Maybe you've had a similar interruption. Maybe it was getting fired. Or maybe it was when the doctor told you some really bad news. Maybe it was when the police showed up. Or you got a phone call saying, I'm sorry, but your loved one's been in an accident. These are the disruptive interruptions that we Hate. This is why interruptions get such a negative rap. We don't like them. We don't want them. And yet, life is full of them. There's even positive disruptions that are life-changing. That, like, for instance, I know what it's like to be at a city, in a city, at a church you love, and have God call you away. How do you deal with it? That's what we're going to talk about. How do you deal with these interruptions that God either intentionally brings into your life or just allows into your life? Because if we don't talk about it, if we don't deal with it, we're just going to continue going on through life feeling frustrated by it. That's why we as a church family need to stop and look at it and say, what do you do? Because if you proclaim to follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to come to a place to allow God to use this interruption to get you to the place he wants you to be. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, interruptions are often what God uses to help you begin to find Jesus and follow him. So if you're on a spiritual journey, interruptions are often what God uses. And if all we do is see interruptions as bad, we're going to miss out on something that God wants to do. That's why we're going to stop and take five weeks to talk about an annoying subject like interruptions. And to help us study it, we're going to go to the book of Jonah. We're going to study Jonah for five weeks because all throughout this very famous Old Testament story is a whole series of interruptions. And basically what we're going to see is how Jonah does it wrong and begin to help us see then how to do it right. So let's pray. Father, as we get ready to dig into your scriptures here in Jonah, I pray that you would be our ultimate teacher. This story has been around for a couple thousand years. Uh, it's been around a, a lot longer than any of us. It'll be here far after any of us. And yet, you embedded truth for its original audience and for your followers throughout all of time. And so, Father, even though many of us in this room are very familiar with this story, would you interrupt us and let us just escape out of that familiarity and see something new and fresh so that it would just recharge in, in us in our faith and help us to truly trust you. That's why I ask God that you be our teacher today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you brought a paper Bible or a digital Bible, open it up to Jonah. Uh, We are going to spend five weeks here. Uh, Jonah is in a section of the Old Testament known as the minor prophets. Not minor because they don't matter as much. Minor in that their writings are much shorter. If you get into some of the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, those guys are like pastors. They just keep talking on and on and on and on and on. Now, the minor prophets, they knew how to keep it brief. But a lot of people don't read the Minor Prophets because they're a little confusing. If you go into them, you'll see this like poetical uh, prophecy happening. And they're talking about places and people that we have no clue who they are. And, And so it's difficult for us to really get into it and think, what am I supposed to learn from this? And so we just don't dare to trod into the Minor Prophets. We skip over it and go to things that seem to be a little easier to understand. But when I open sourced what we would talk about for these five weeks, there was one person who said, I'd like to study the minor prophets. And part of me thought, whoa, I, I don't think I've ever taught from the minor prophets. That, that would be kind of fun. But then someone else said, hey, what about studying the Psalms? And I thought, oh, I could get really excited about that. I would like to do the Psalms. And, and someone else suggested, what about talking about fear? I thought, oh, that, that's kind of an important topic. You know, We all kind of struggle with fear in different ways. And so I'm sitting down with Jeff, and I'm sharing all these ideas that you guys have given us. And all of a sudden he says, what if we do Jonah? Because Jonah's one of the minor prophets. There's a psalm-like prayer in chapter 2. And Jonah's in the belly of a whale. I'm pretty sure he's pretty scared, so you're going to have to deal with fear. And I'm sitting there, and as Jeff shares this, just like goosebumps come over my body. I'm like, that's it. We should spend the time studying Jonah. So I just started reading Jonah, and I just started seeing all of these interruptions. And that's when I knew this is what we need to talk about. And today, we're going to just be in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, because these three verses help set up the rest of the, the book, the rest of the story. And so we're just going to be in these three uh, things. So let me read verses 1 through 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee, to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here at Riverwood, we tend to walk through books of the Bible, uh, and we go through section by section. And any time we start a new book it's good for us to stop and say, okay, but what's the background? Like, when was it written? Who was it written by? Who was the audience? It helps us put it in context, and that will help us to understand more of what truth got embedded there for his people at that time and for us today. And so Jonah was written, we think, by a guy named Jonah. I'll talk about uh, that in a moment. But we do know that Jonah was a prophet because he is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, He's mentioned uh, first in Second Kings chapter 14, and there we learned that he was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II served as king of Israel for 41 years, longer than anyone else. However, it wasn't the kingdom of Israel as we normally think of it. There was a period where Israel was split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And it was that way for quite a while until some strange guy named David came along and somehow united the two kingdoms together. So Jeroboam II served uh, as king for 41 years over the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jonah served as a prophet during that time. In fact, in Second Kings chapter 14, there's a point where it says that Jonah prophesied about the expansion of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam actually went out with his army and they did it. They accomplished the expansion of the northern kingdom. So you see, Jonah, God gave him a word, he prophesied it, and it came to be. So we know that Jonah was this prophet under Jeroboam. Because we know he was under Jeroboam, he was always also a contemporary of, excuse me, of Hosea and Amos. Except Hosea and Amos were more down in the southern region, down in Judah, whereas Jonah was up in the top region. But that's important, because we're going to see Jonah throughout the story make some mistakes, especially today. And it's going to be critical for us to see that God didn't just go, Oh, I lost Jonah. Guess I'll have to pull in Hosea or Amos. Okay, so Jonah, we don't know exactly who wrote his book. But it's most likely that Jonah had to write it himself. Now, I will say that most of the minor prophets are written in first person. And so it's possible that because Jonah's in third person that he dictated it to someone else. But I'm pretty sure he was involved in the writing of it because we have details that no one would have normally had without the firsthand experience that Jonah did. That's why, and I have no proof of this, so I would not try and die on this hill, but I suspect that God actually had Jonah write it, and Jonah is having to sit there and admit all these mistakes, as we're going to see over the next five weeks, and he's probably embarrassed by it. And he's like, probably going, God, really? I got to put this. That in there? I look so foolish. God's like, but you did it. So, yeah, put it in there. And so, his way around it was to write it in third person. Again, I have no proof of this uh, at all. But I want you, throughout this entire series, especially as we see his mistakes, to remember Jonah might have had to write that down. He may have to be admitting where he messed up. Because it really helps you see just how, I guess, in a sense, grave his errors are that if he's having to confess it himself through his writing. But also over the course of the series, I want you to keep in mind another thing. That Jonah is tied to Jesus. If you go back into Second Kings chapter 14, you'll see that not only does it name Jonah as some of Amittai, so we know it's the same guy, but it also tells where he's from. He's from a little village called Gath Heifer. Now, I had never heard of Gath Heifer. Now, I've, I've read the entire Bible, and so I would have seen the words at one time or another... But it didn't stand out. So I went to see, what is this Gath Heifer? Turns out, it is the sister village to Nazareth. Nazareth is the city where Jesus grew up. Gath Heifer was on the north side of the hill. Nazareth was on the south side. And they were the same region. So jo- Jesus and Jonah came from the same territory, very similar communities. But not only did they come from the same area, in Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus himself says, That just as, and by the way, if you don't know the story of Jonah, this is a spoiler alert. Just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale, Jesus is going to spend three days in the belly of the earth. In other words, Jesus prophesied his death on the cross and how long he would be in the grave. And he uses the story of Jonah to help people see it. In fact, Jesus goes on in his very next sentence, verse 41, says that just as Jonah, a prophet, went to Nineveh, to preach the word of God to the people so that their lives could change, Jesus came as the true and better Jonah to preach the gospel to people so that they could change. And just as Nineveh changed at the word of Jonah, how much more should we change at the word of the one who's better, the Messiah himself? And so as we go through this, I want you to not only realize that Jonah probably had to write this himself and it's embarrassing, but that his story actually points us to Christ. And we got to keep Jesus central in all of this. All right. So let's look at the first interruption. It's right here in verses one and two. Uh, what we're going to see is that this interruption shows us that interruptions can come from God, that they can be unexpected and they can also be unwanted. All right. So they can be from God. They can be unexpected and they can be unwanted. Verses one and two. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, when we read these words, we just like jump right in. There's no backstory. It doesn't say anything about Jonah. It just starts right there. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So we know his name. We know his dad's name. That's about it. We don't know what life was like for Jonah. Now, perhaps life was going really, really well. Uh, maybe we see in Second Kings 14 that he prophesied the expansion of the kingdom and oh, it happened. Wow. So maybe he's really respected. People are like, wow, you must really hear from God because what you said came true. And so maybe people really like him. Maybe they're throwing money his way. Maybe they're coming to him, asking him for, you know, inside, almost treating him like a, a medium. You know, like, would you consult God for me? Should I plant this crop or this crop? You know, who knows what's going on for him? Uh, maybe though, he's like other prophets. Having to prophesy doom. You know, saying, hey, if you don't change your ways, this is going to happen. And the people don't want to hear it. So maybe he has to actually go off and live alone. And he's sequestered. And life isn't too easy and comfortable. We don't know. But what we do know is that no matter what was going on, God interrupted. And if you've ever experienced a God interruption, it always seems to come at a very inconvenient Maybe you're in a job that you absolutely love and then suddenly a different offer comes your way and it just feels like an interruption. Maybe you just love your life. You just like where it's at, you know, your, your house, your kids, the school system, everything's going so well and then suddenly you have to move. Maybe, I don't know, it could be anything. Something's going great and then this interruption comes in and it just seems to disrupt everything. It was unexpected, and because it now means change, it often means it's unwanted. And so our internal reaction is to pull back and even try to avoid it. Jonah is just a normal human. Yeah, he may have been a prophet used by God, but yet his reaction was just like ours. His reaction was still, I don't want this. Why though was this God interruption so unexpected and unwanted. Well, that's tied into the city of Nineveh. You, you see, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It, it was a very huge city. I mean, it was gigantic. In fact, over in Jonah 3.3, 3, we find out that it would take you three days to walk across uh, the city. Uh, another resource I, I found said that one side of the city had a wall that was seven and a half miles long. It had 15 gates. In it. Archaeology has recovered five of them. Right? This was a gigantic city. It was the New York of its day. It was well educated. It was powerful. Uh, it, was, it was a force. <laughs> so, why did Jonah not want to go there? I mean, honestly, if God said, hey, I want you to go to New York, I think I'd be going, awesome. I, I've never been to New York. I, I'd love to see it. You know, go visit, see the lights, take in a show, you know, check it out. Because I know I can come back to Iowa where it's actually nice. Oh, well, except our weather. Uh, but, you know, it would be like a nice little visit, nice little vacation. Except if God said, I want you to go to New York, and I want you to preach against it and preach at Zoom, I don't think you would be suddenly so eager. Because if you walked into Times Square, stood on a platform with your bullhorn, started yelling at people, God's going to destroy the city unless you change your ways. People are going to walk by you and ignore you. Some people are going to mock you. They're going to ridicule you. You'll become famous on Instagram for all the wrong reasons. People will spit on you. You'll get into shouting matches. It, it, it just—it would not be good for your reputation. For Jonah, it could have been his death. Because you see, Nineveh was not only the biggest city, most powerful city, it was also an evil city. It, it was known for its just cruelty uh, Babylon a few after a few centuries of, after the Assyrian Empire Babylon actually over uh, overtook it when Babylon overtook Assyria Assyria uh, Babylon used to come in and try to take the best of all right so when when Babylon came into Israel and overthrew uh, Israel they took some of their brightest and youngest people they, they took some of their stuff they wouldn't always incorporate everything in. But they still tried to absorb it because they thought if we take their best, that makes us better. Assyria didn't think that way. Assyria, when they came in and conquered someone, they sought to humiliate them, to absolutely destroy them. So Nineveh may have been the New York of its day, but by its behavior, it was the ISIS of its day. That's why Jonah doesn't want to go. It's unexpected, because why in the world would God care for such a cruel people? Because we're going to see later in this book, God loves the Ninevites. And yet, if Jonah actually goes to these people that God appears to love, it's probably going to mean his death. And that's why this interruption is unwanted. So interruptions, they can come from God, they're unexpected, and they're unwanted. So what does Jonah do? He does what a lot of us would do. He ran. Uh, That brings us to verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this verse is a chiasm. Uh, We've seen a few chiasms in our study here at Riverwood. But if you don't know what a chiasm is or you just forget... It's a poetical structure where the the first line and last line are paired together, and then your next line in are paired, and next one and next one, and it's working its way in to a center. And the center part is most important. That's what the the writer is working toward. That's what he wants you to really get. So notice verse 3. The center of it is Tarshish. And the very first line and last line are about Tarshish. Do you think maybe the author, if it's Jonah or someone else, is trying to get across this idea of Tarshish? Why? Because Tarshish was the absolute opposite of Nineveh. First, it was in opposite directions. To go to Nineveh, Jonah would have had to hop on a camel and travel about 500 miles across the desert towards the northeast. Instead, he hops on a ship and heads west, in opposite directions. We also see that they are in opposite locations. Uh, Nineveh is in uh, uh, the inland area. Tarshish would have been a coastal city. Uh, it would have been a hard trip going across the desert to Nineveh. It probably seemed easier to go by boat over to Tarshish. But they were also opposite in reputation. Nineveh was known for its evil. But, and I I will admit, I am not a history buff. I I don't know history super, super well. But I don't know of any armies coming out of Tarshish. Right? It probably seemed safe. Nineveh meant death. Probably Tarshish seemed like he would save his life. He went the absolute opposite direction. We do the same thing. Sometimes, I will admit, we go halfway. You know, like, Jonah could have said, Alright, I'm not going to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go to Carchemish. It's kind of towards that direction. Sometimes we do that. Like our loved one ends up in the hospital, life gets interrupted, but yet while our body's there in the hospital, our mind is still at work through our phone and our email. We don't really allow it to interrupt. it. We actually go halfway. But oftentimes, when an interruption comes that we really don't want we run the opposite way. We want to get out of there. In the uh, Old Testament times when Jonah would have lived, there, there would have been certain tribes and cultures that believed that their God, their deity, was like God over that land area, that, that region. And, and so when two armies would come and fight and battle each other, they also thought there was a spiritual component, that it was like if our God is more powerful than your God, we will beat you and destroy you and therefore we will take over your area. So it was also somewhat about spiritual pride. And so when they would talk about the God of Israel, most of the other cultures thought that the God of Israel was just over Israel. But Jonah, being a prophet, he knew his theology. He knew that his God had actually created everything. And that his God was not confined to one little area. That his God was the God of everything. But while he theologically knew that, His behavior revealed that he began to act like the other cultures of his area. He began to see his God as small, thinking maybe I could flee from his presence and run. When we run, when the interruption comes, we are acting like God is a small God. That's why I want to ask you, what is your Tarshish? What is it that you run to? When life starts getting hard, when some interruption comes, you know, when, it, when the phone rings and you pull it out and there on the face of your smartphone is the picture of some really needy friend. And you know if you answer it, you're going to be stuck on the phone for the next hour, hour and a half, two hours listening to their problems. And so you send it to voicemail and flip on the TV. Or, or when you encounter a really difficult customer or you have conflict with a coworker, r- rather than seeking healthy ways to deal with it, you run to the liquor cabinet. Or, or maybe when your spouse is crying out for attention, things aren't going well in the marriage. Rather than, than running to find ways to make it work and get it healthy again, you run to the gym. Or you go and you hang out with friends at the, at the restaurant or the golf course. What's your Tarshish? Because your Tarshish seems safe. It seems like that's where I will be okay. That seems like that's where peace would be. But when you run there, you're saying, God, you're not big enough and powerful enough to help me through this interruption. And so I've got to get to someplace that I think is better and safer. When you do that, you miss out on the deeper work that God wants to do in you. Because he has a plan in your Nineveh. It may be hard. It may be difficult. But he's at work. That brings up the question. Why does God bring these interruptions into our life? I think to answer that, we have to look at football. Yeah, I know. It's, we just got done with the hottest season of our summer. Uh, it's still like the middle of baseball season. But really, in two weeks, NFL preseason starts. Uh, high school and college uh, teams will be starting their uh, August camps, getting ready for the fall. Uh, I think college season starts like the last Saturday in August, and high school probably right around that same time. I mean, it's upon us. Football's here. If you think about football, though, it's gone through a lot of changes from when it first began. It's gone through a lot of equipment changes. It's gone through changes in, in like, how plays are developed. It used to be a very heavily run game. Now, if you go watch the NFL, it's a lot of passing. There's also been a lot of rule changes. And in the last decade or so, one of the biggest changes to come to, to especially the uh, college and, and pro ranks, is what is called instant replay. Or the challenge. In the NFL, a coach carries in his pocket a red flag. It's called the challenge flag. And he's allowed to throw it once during the first half and once in the second half. And if he doesn't like a call that the ref made, he can pull that thing out, chuck it onto the field. And that says, I challenge the call. I don't think the ref got it right. And he wants them to relook at it. Now, that challenge flag is a huge interruption to the game. Because it means that the referee has to walk over, pick up the flag, take it back to the coach, ask him what exactly he's challenging, then the ref has to go and stand at this video booth with headphones on, and he has to watch the play multiple times as he's, you know, seeing the instant replay from several different angles, trying to assess, did we get the call right on the field, or did something different happen? And so everyone has to stand around or sit around waiting for this ref to figure out exactly what happened and come back on the field and announce it. This can add several minutes of the game. It just causes everything to come to a halt. It is a true interruption. So does the coach throw the flag just to be annoying? Is he just trying to tick off, you know, 50,000 fans in the stands? Is he just trying to be bothersome to the, the refs? Is he trying to insult them? No. The reason he throws the challenge flag is in hopes and desires that he can redirect and reroute the course of events that took place on the field. He's trying to get it to the preferred outcome. So he interrupts the game, trying to get it to go where he wants it to go. I think that God throws a challenge flag into your life. He interrupts it to redirect you and reroute you the direction he wants you to go. Yes, it causes a halt. It was unexpected, it's unwanted. But when the challenge flag is thrown, when you see it in your life, what do you do? Do you run to your Tarshish or do you run to your God? Are you quick to get on a ship or are you quick to get on your knees? Where do you run when the interruption comes? Because if you run into your Tarshish, You are going to miss out. Tarshish looks so good. And yet, that's not where God wants to work. We're going to see God interrupt Jonah next week as he's running towards Tarshish. And we're actually going to see that that is God's love. That is why I don't want to see you run. I don't want to see you get on an internal ship and take off. Instead, I want to see you get on your knees and surrender to God. Because this really gets down to your theology. How big is your God? How big is He? Is He big enough to handle the interruption that just came? Do you think He can see you to the next job? Do you see think He can see you through this health crisis? Do you think that He can see you through the move? Do you think He can even see you through the relationship difficulties you're going through right now? How big is your God? where you run reveals how big you really think he is if you run into something else you're saying god you're not big enough instead god is saying i know you i love you and i've either brought this interruption or allowed it to come because i want to reroute you and redirect you in the way i want you to go because you see what god wants more than anything for you is for you to look like jesus He is wanting to restore that image of Christ within you. Because what this world needs are people that love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And you're not going to be developed in partial. It's staying on your knees. It's surrendering to God and letting him do what only he can do in your life. Because as you allow the interruption to redirect you and reroute you to where God wants you, he does then a deep work in you to prepare to do a great work through you. So this first week, as we take a start on this topic of interruptions, you just got to ask yourself, what is my Tarshish, and where do I run? Because God loves you, and he doesn't want you trying to get away, because he has something planned for you. Let's pray. Father God, uh, it's one thing to say these words up here, it's another thing to live them out. Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to be quick to run to you, to run to your gospel, to run to Jesus, to get on our knees. Father, some of these interruptions that come, they feel like more than we can handle. They are so disruptive. It seems to wreck everything. And yet, we see in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1 that, that Paul, when he was so overwhelmed, he even felt like he was coming to death. It was allowed by you so that he would fully rely upon you. And that's what you want for us. This is about our trust. This is about our faith. This is about our relationship with you. God, I want to just ask for forgiveness for the times that we have treated you like a small God. You're this nice little deity that just sits on the side, and we come to you to to offer you our our songs and and prayers, and, and we just want you to kind of make our life comfortable and happy. And I believe that you are a good God who gives good gifts. Sometimes those good gifts are an interruption because our heart is not where it needs to be. We're finding our joy in other things other than you. That's why, God, we need to say thank you for the interruptions. Thank you for the deep work. As hard as it is, it's because you love us and you have something far better planned for us than we could even plan for ourselves. That's why I ask for your help. Help us to be on our knees. Help us to fully trust you. Help us to surrender. Because you are God, you are good, you are sovereign, and you are in control. So we surrender to you, God. Do in us what you need to do, so you can also then do through us what you want to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.